1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a, a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In this day and age of workplace health and safety, even ministers have to take this seriously. So, can you still hear me all right? Okay. I don't know if I can get my glasses on with these. Oh, yes, I can. Okay, ready for it? Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Is this okay? I'm, I'm okay. All right. Now, before I take it off, let's see how far we can push this. Verse 5 says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Robin's not here. It's okay? Whew. Okay, I'll take it off. Now, I know things are safe. Righto. Now, before we're going to begin today, there's something really important, important that we need to nail down so that we know that we're all on the same page. Fifty years ago, this was a non-issue. It was something that was assumed. It was something that was known by everyone. It, it's something that used to be considered general knowledge, and if you didn't know this, then you were a bit of a dill, really. Um, you, you just There was something wrong with you. But now that our society likes to see itself as being more woke, this is something that does need to be said. So are you ready for this profound statement I'm about to make? Men and women are not the same. I know, shocking, isn't it? Shocking. And in fact, men and women can be quite different to each other. Generally, not always, but generally, and I hope this doesn't get too technical for you with this technical language I'm using, but men generally like blokey stuff and women generally like girly stuff, right? So, and by the way, I know that I've probably just offended a whole heap of feminists out there. 
Uh, but I doubt that they're listening to the Bush Disciples podcast, so that's okay. But let me use Robin and I as an example. Robin loves to cross-stitch. Who here has gotten a cross-stitch when they've, when they've had a child being born from Robin? She just puts it into it, puts time into it. She loves doing cross-stitch for people. I like to shoot stuff. Right? We're, we're a bit different in that regard. Uh, Robin likes to sew when she's making something. I like to weld. Um, might be a bit stiff if I made you a coat. Um, when it comes to watching movies, Robin loves to watch a chick flick. I can't stand them. I'm very happy to watch a action movie. Robin loves to keep the inside of the house clean and that usually involves her chastising me in some way for, for why it's not clean. And Robin also loves for me to mow the lawn and to keep the outside of the house tidy in the garden. Robin's not at all interested in pistol shooting. In fact, she's about as interested in pistol shooting as what I am in scrapbooking. But Robin's really good at scrapbooking and she loves scrapbooking. And I don't think I'd be very good at it at all. But we do our duty to each other. I come home from pistol shoot and Robin says, how'd you go? Who was there? Ask all these questions. I come home and see that she's doing, been doing some scrapbooking and I, I do, I ooh and ah over the appropriate pages. This is the way things work. Men and women are different to each other. You get a couple of women together and they can talk for hours. They just go on and on and on. But us blokes, we get together for a yarn and we're very efficient, really. We've wrapped it up in about 10 minutes. Unless you've got something to do while you're doing it. Like, if you're fishing, you can always talk with someone while you're fishing, as long as it's not too loud. But you might only say the same number of words, but only say a few at a time. Or you might be playing a game of cards and you can have a bit of a chat, but once again, you still only use about the same number of words with lots of pauses in between. Men and women are different. That's why they don't compete together in the same sporting events, because generally men are bigger and stronger. And yet, in our newfound wokeness, uh, this has become a very real issue, because apparently now, if somebody's born as a man, and even have the equipment to prove it, they can now decide, well, actually, I want to be a woman. And because they've decided that they're a woman, now the anti-discrimination laws tell us that you have to go along with that lie and you have to agree that they're a woman. And so men are now calling themselves women and competing in sporting events against women. And that's really puts the cat among the pigeons and it's causing quite an outcry. What a harebrained world we've become. But the Bible continues to speak with a timeless truth. Men and women are different. And if we can agree on this fact, and if we can also agree on the general principle that we've been discussing over the last few weeks, that because we fear God, all Christians, both men and women, submit to all people, then we'll discover that the Bible reading today isn't sexist, and it's actually something which is wonderfully life-giving. 
Righto. So, over the, over the last few weeks, we've begun with the general principle that disciples of Jesus live lives of submission, first of all to God and then to all. And the battle against the flesh that we so often battle with is that part of us that wants to say, you're not the boss of me. And then we looked at a few specific examples about how we submit to the authorities and how we submit to our, our bosses or our employers or, or our masters if we happen to be slaves. And, and yet Peter has used these specific examples of the general principle that we submit to everyone. All right, so he's used these, these examples to try and help us to understand the general principle that we all submit to everyone. And, and last week, we discovered that Jesus is the copybook. Jesus is the perfect example of godly submission. Jesus didn't submit because he was weak, but because he was strong. And even when Jesus suffered injustice, he didn't retaliate, although he could have very easily done so. He submitted. And Jesus is our copybook. Jesus is the perfectly formed letters of submission that we copy, copy, copy. As we follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, we submit, submit, submit. Men and women. And so he's given us a couple of examples, but what human relationship uh, could be more important, could be more personal or more comprehensive than the husband and wife relationship? Husbands and wives are the closest human relationship. I mean, it's described as the one flesh relationship for a reason. We live in close quarters. Um, we become a part of one another. And this is a relationship that Peter needs to address. And he begins by specifically addressing women whose husbands are not Christians. And therefore, their husbands are most likely pagans, and they're most probably against Christ, and they're probably somewhat bitter that their wives have deserted the family religion and become Christians. Now, how should a wife live in such a relationship? How, how should a wife relate to her pagan husband? Well, well the general principle applies. We submit to all people. We've already learned this. And so the wife submits to her husband. Just like last week, we, we submit to our employer or we submit to our boss, even if he's a nasty crook. And we do it not because we're afraid of the boss. We do it because we fear God. And so be a witness for Jesus by being the very best employee that you can be, even if your boss doesn't deserve it. We've received grace from God, therefore we give grace by being the best employee that we can be. And that's how we are a witness for Jesus. So that's what we talked about last week. But the, the situation that, that Peter's painting here, the relationship between a Christian woman and her non-Christian or perhaps anti-Christian husband is very similar to that previous situation. And so essentially what Peter is saying to the wife here 
is be a witness for Jesus to your husband, to your non-Christian husband, by being the very best wife that you can be, even though your husband doesn't deserve it. Now, we talk about, well, I'll respect him as soon as he earns my respect. Well, that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to love and give of yourself, even when they don't deserve it. And that's how we become the very best, best witness for Jesus that we can be. And all this comes out of two verses. So chapter 3, verse 1, he says, likewise. All right, now that means just like Jesus Christ is our copybook, because that's what came before it. And just as Jesus subjected himself even to injustice, just like Jesus, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even though some do not obey the word, that means even though they're not Christians, even though they're not obedient to God, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You see, a Christian woman being rebellious against her unbelieving husband, that's, that's really not something that's going to win him for Christ, is it? Nagging him and complaining and needling him about his paganism, that's probably not going to help him come to faith in Jesus. Constantly preaching at him probably won't win him either. And certainly being disrespectful towards him isn't something which is going to endear him to your newfound saviour. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The best way for a Christian woman to be a witness for Jesus to her unbelieving husband is for her to be highly respectful to her husband. And above this, be uncompromising in her purity to God. Now, it's important that we get this order together. First, we have to have uncompromising purity to God. And secondly, be highly respectful to her husband. Right? So there, there will be times when she will need to disobey her husband. So if he tells her to do something which is against her Christian faith... Because of her uncompromising purity to God comes first, she may have to disobey him. And the husband will very quickly realise what it means for Jesus to be her Lord. If generally she's very respectful towards him and subject to him, and generally she lives a very godly, upright life, and if the only time that she ever disobeys her husband is when she refuses to do something which is against God's word, he'll soon realise what it means for Jesus to be her Lord. So, for example, the, the husband uh, would generally expect his whole household to take part in his chosen religion and worship his own gods. And it might cause quite a bit of angst and disharmony and conflict because the wife refuses to worship his gods. And the husband may demand that she stop fellowshipping with those dastardly Christians because he doesn't like the change that he's seeing in her. But because Jesus is her Lord and because she fears God, in those areas she can't submit to her husband 
because she submits to Christ first. And when we get to verse 6, Peter says, um, to do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. What could possibly be frightening for a wife? A husband who's not happy that you're following Jesus. Don't fear that. Fear God first. By the way, can you see why it's really important for a Christian to only ever marry another Christian? Right? Um, these problems are going to be avoided. And so the only reason that a Christian should find themselves married to a non-Christian is if they got married before they became a Christian. And so if you're a young person here today, I want you to know that the best way forward for you, the godly way forward, this is what God says is right, is only ever marry another Christian. Don't even, don't even start dating someone who's not a Christian because the whole purpose of dating is trying to work out, is this person somebody who's suitable for me to marry? And if they're not a Christian, you already know the answer to that. No, they're not. Right. Now, a, a lot of people really bag this Bible teaching on wives submitting to their husbands, and it gets criticised because they say, oh, it's a, it's a product of a patriarchal culture where men dominated women and women were just seen as objects for the man's pleasure. I want you to know, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, Peter here speaks against the objectifying of women. He says, do not let your adorning be external. Now, when I, when I was studying this, I was actually a little surprised at what word was there in the Greek. The Greek word behind the word adorning is actually cosmos, um, which is actually about the ordering of the universe, okay? So the, the adorning of a woman is something like the ordering of the universe. What's going on there? This is, this is strange to my way of thinking, but apparently that's the way this word is used. Um, basically, when you're getting yourself in order, don't merely think about your external appearance. Don't let your ordering, don't let your adornment be about having a nice hairdo or about having nice and expensive jewellery or even about pretty clothes. Let your adornment, let your ordering be about what's on the inside. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Do you know how highly God rates physical beauty? And I'm not just saying this because I'm ugly. <laughs> very lowly. He rates it very low. It, it rates a big fat zero. Gentleness and a quiet spirit is what's precious to God. And yet so many teenage girls and young ladies and even older ladies put all of their time and all of their effort into trying to make themselves look beautiful and, and trying to get the lightest, nicest hairdo and, and get their makeup just right and, and the designer clothes. And sometimes they beat their bodies with exercise regimes to try and form and sculpt their body into something that's going to make them look more like the model that they've seen in the magazine. And they find their worth in external beauty and they put all of this effort into trying to get this external beauty. But you know what? 
God wants to set you free from that. And if that's what you have to do to attract the man that you want, he's not the man that you should have. You need a man who's going to look at you like God does and see the, the beauty on the inside, a gentle and quiet spirit. And let me tell you, as a Christian, I'm, I'm quite ashamed of the influx of programs that get run by churches aimed at connecting with young girls, trying to give them a bit of self-worth by making them look beautiful, where they do a makeup program or do a makeover for the girls, and this is how we're going to give you self-worth. We'll teach you how to dress so that you don't look so plain. Churches do this. But God's word says, do not let your adorning be those things, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter says that's how godly women of the Bible adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And then he's bold enough to give the examples of Sarah who obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Let's have a pop quiz. How many men here get called Lord by their wives? Don't be embarrassed now. Come on, pop your hands up. My hand isn't up, by the way. Uh, your dad does, does he? No, he doesn't. <laughs> By the way, I think she only called him Lord once that I can find in the Bible. But the way that she related to Abraham is the point. Abraham was the sort of bloke who said, Sarah, we're going to leave home now. Leave our home. We're going to head off to this promised land that God's going to show me. And we're going to live in a tent, babe, for the rest of our lives. And she just upped and left. She followed him. And Abraham wasn't the perfect husband. He tried to pass her off a couple of times as his sister. And, and another man took her. And Peter says, And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. And we touched on that briefly before. This is about honouring God, doing, go doing good. So honouring God first. And part of that is submitting to all people, including your husband, but don't be afraid to go against him if he's wanting you to go against God's word. <sighs> How are we going, women? Was that, was that too burdensome for you? I hope not. Now a word for the husbands. Likewise, husbands. Like what? Like what? Likewise, like what? Like the instruction to the wives? Or like Jesus? Well, it's actually both. Like Jesus is the suffering servant. Like Jesus suffered injustice. Like wives are being the very best wife that they can be for the sake of Jesus. Husbands, you be a witness for Jesus by being the very best husband that you can be. Not because you fear your wife, but because you fear God and because you want to honour Jesus. 
sadly, this whole general command that all disciples of Jesus, both men and women, that, that all of us should submit to all people, some, so often that, that general command gets neglected for the specifics. And of course, the one specific we generally home in on is wives, submit to your husband. Why is that? Why is that the only submission that we ever hear about? And sadly, some abusive husbands badly misuse this very piece of scripture to try and legitimize the, the abusive ways that they demean their wives. There you go. When you ask what's the word, what, what's she called that starts with a W, I was waiting for someone to say woman. Because <laughs> some people, they would read this and go, there you go, woman, the Bible says it, submit. You have to submit to me. But Peter won't have a bar of that sort of nonsense. Men are to live with their wives in an understanding way. The Greek word there is noson, which means knowledge. So be considerate, be understanding, know your wife. Husbands, did you know that your wife just wants you to understand her? And yet they're a mystery, aren't they? <laughs> Our wives are a mystery to us, but we are to know them. We are to understand them. We are to be considerate of them. And we are to honour our wives. You see, submission does not mean slavery. And back in verse 6, where Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord, some men, not no one here of course, but some men would go, oh yeah, my wife should be treating me like a king. I'm the Lord of the manor. I'm the leader of my household. And she should be treating me like a king, sure enough. That is a total misunderstanding of leadership. Do you understand what godly leadership or even godly lordship looks like? Jesus demonstrated this to us as well. In John chapter 13, it's coming up to the time of the crucifixion. And Jesus knew exactly who he was. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and that he was going back to God, Jesus rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and he took a towel and he tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and he wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You remember Peter was there that night and Peter learned what lordship looks like that night because Peter said, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. You're my Lord, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, I have to, otherwise you've got no part in the kingdom of God. He said, oh, well, wash all of me then. Then in verse 12, when he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also 
should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That is what godly leadership is about. That's what godly lordship looks like. Now, another name for it? Servanthood. Servanthood. And men, if you want to be the leader in your family, you be the first servant in your family. When a godly wife submits to her husband, it's not about him having his own personal slave. As godly men, in fact, it should be quite the opposite. The woman is physically weaker, and therefore we should do more for her than what we expect her to do for us. And we are to serve her as Christ served the disciples. Are you understanding this, men? Your, your wife, for you to be the leader in your family in the way of Christ, your way should be to wash your wife's feet and to serve her. And so men are to understand their wives and be considerate of them. Men are to honour their wives. Men are even to serve their wives. And Peter gives us three reasons why. Firstly, women are the weaker vessel. And the equalitarians will get all up in arms about this. I'm going to say, tough. It's true. Just get over it. Secondly, our wives are fellow heirs in Christ. Women are every bit as privileged as men are to be saved. Have you ever noticed in the New Testament um, that it says that we've become sons of God? It doesn't say we've become sons and daughters of God. Well, there's a few um, translations now that they'd like to try and modernise it and make it seem more inclusive. So they add those words in, sons and daughters of God. That's not there. The Bible actually says that we are sons of God. And the reason that it says this is, is a very good reason that it says this. In their culture, women were not heirs. It was men who inherited. And in the Christian church, both men and women become sons of God. Because it's not talking about sex. It's not talking about gender. It's talking about the rights of inheritance. Men become heirs of God. Women become heirs of God. And the way to say that is men and women become sons of God. And so women are every bit as privileged as men are to be saved. Our spiritual inheritance is the same. They are fellow heirs with God, of God with the men. And so we honour our wives as fellow heirs. And the third reason we are to honour our wives, our wives and be considerate is so our prayers won't be hindered. How could our prayers be hindered? You see, it, it's the sinful nature and it's the way of the world to want to dominate and to want to exploit the weaker person. And that sort of behaviour destroys our relationship with God. 
Did you know that if you say, I love God, but hate your brother, then you're a liar. You can't love God and hate your brother. It says that in 1 John chapter 4. And I want you to know that my closest and most loved fellow disciple of Jesus is my wife. I'm sad she's not here today. Might have got me some points. <laughs> um, and men, your closest and most loved fellow disciple of Jesus should be your wife. Love her, care for her, honour her. How can I possibly love God if I dishonour my wife? It destroys my relationship with God and therefore my prayers would be hindered. So there you go. This is all about living lives of submission and service for the sake of Christ. And I believe the challenge here is every bit as great, possibly greater for the men as what it is for the women. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, another challenging word today. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit would grow in our lives. You'd fill us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, may these things characterise who we are and how we relate to everyone. And for those who are married, especially how we relate to our spouse. Lord, help us to battle against that part of us which wants to say, you're not the boss of me, especially when it comes to our husband or our wife. And help us to follow the example of Jesus and submit. Lord, I pray that the wives who are hearing this today will be a witness for Jesus by being the very best wives that they can be. And I pray for the husbands who are hearing this today that they will be a witness for Jesus by being the very best husbands that they can be. Loving their wives, honouring their wives, and like Christ, serving their wives. I pray that neither husband nor wife would seek to lord it over the other, but that both would have the heart of a servant, serving the other, and honouring Christ as they do. Lord, I pray especially today for disciples of Jesus who are married to someone who has not yet given their heart to Jesus. Lord, help them to endure. Help them to remain loyal and pure spiritually. Help them to be the very best husband or the very best wife that they can be, not because their spouse deserves it, but because it honours Christ and because it's a witness for Christ. Lord, by their respectful and pure conduct, may their spouse be won over to you. In Jesus' name, amen.